Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, we are in uh, the fifth part of a series, and we'll be wrapping it up next week called Poetic. And we've been looking at the poetic nature of the scriptures, especially in the way in which metaphors are used to help us to understand God. Um, God is more than we can fully comprehend. He just is. But that doesn't mean that we're not called to comprehend him as fully as we can. And so that is the whole point of the scriptures and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and and these different metaphors. Here's the thing is that that learning about God is growing a relationship, not like studying a technical manual, okay? And so with that, then we have to understand that these things begin to build. And just like as any relationship, you begin to see facets and, and different aspects and, and different attributes of somebody in their life. The scriptures reveal different facets and attributes and the nature of God. And so we want to grow in that space. So that's what we've been delving into. And so if you've got your bulletin, if you've got your app, however it is you're going to track with us, um, then we've launched with this idea that God uses things that we, we see and know um, to help us to understand him. Even though God is bigger and more wonderful than the things that we can see and know. He's not limited to those things, but we're a little limited by those things. Our life experiences and all of those different things, you know, we have to to use what we start with. You know, as soon as, you know, somebody begins to learn about numbers, you know, what is the first thing we do with kids? We, We teach them to count on their hands something they see and know. And then as they begin to do that, we begin to recognize, well, if I take two and I add two more, well, now I have four. And that foundation helps us to go into deeper and deeper and deeper math to where all of a sudden it's just math that somebody decided to throw the alphabet into and all sorts of crazy stuff. And, and it just gets crazy, but it, it grows. You have to have experience it on a on a, on a basic level, and then with every experience, you're able to add to it. And so God meets us where we are to help us to understand who he is. And we've launched with this idea of Romans chapter 1, verse 20. This says, for since the creation of the world, since the creation of the world, I want you to get it down deep in your heart that God has always wanted to be known. He's always wanted, because remember at the creation of the world and the creation of man, God had interaction with humanity. So all of these things, he's had this here to have his nature reflected in the things he created, even when there wasn't a veil of separation. He's just had that. This is just part of who he is. And so this isn't all of a sudden plan B. God has had this plan for us to understand him from the creation of the world. So for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature 
have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Nobody gets to end their life and say, huh, I kind of was completely unaware that there might be a God out there. No, nobody. If we would just be a little bit humble and just begin to look up a little bit, we'll begin to see that, wow, there is got to be a God out there. And the scriptures promise us that if we will simply decide that we want to know who God is, he will make sure we do. He is not trying to keep himself alienated from us. He wants to reveal himself. The problem is, is most of us don't want God because we don't want the accountability of God. We don't want somebody else having an idea, a place of how our life should or should not go. But even in that place, then we are without excuse. And we've come to this pick throughout the series. And we, what we've got here is we've got this picture of a cylinder, okay? And voila, there it is. And so, and here we are. And if we were to take a light and shine it from the right side of our cylinder, it would put a, um, a, a nice little shadow of a cube, of a little square on the wall. And it would be true. It would be true. But it's not the fullness of the truth because if you look at it from another angle, then all of a sudden we see this circle on the wall. And then if you had not experienced both, if you had not seen both, and you just say, well, what is this object like? Well, I, you know, I've, I've, seen, I've seen the square shadow. I know it's at least a square, probably a cube, something along that lines. And then somebody else is like, no, 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 I've seen it. I've experienced it. It's a perfect circle. It's a ball. It's a sphere. It's some sort of thing because I've seen it. And you, you cube people, you, you square people, you, you're completely wrong. And, and all the circle people, you know, you, you people are heretics. And the truth is, is that there's a place until we begin to layer these together, we can't understand the truth. This is why you and I are called to continually begin to study the scriptures. Thank you guys for that. And so we want to do this. And these things, we begin as these metaphors, as these images, these shadows and shapes of who God is begin to be seen in the scriptures. We have to put them together to be able to get a fuller picture of who God is. And so, uh, and so as we've been looking at these metaphors, that's what we have been purposing to do. And today, we're going to look at the metaphor of light. And the scriptures let us know that Jesus is the light of the world. Now, we shouldn't be surprised about that because as soon as God begins his creation process, remember, from the creation of the world, his invisible attributes have been made known. And what is the very first thing he does? Let there be light. Let there be light. Everything else is going to have to spill over, spill out of light. Light is so significant that we have to have light first before we do anything else. Before there's any forming, creating, any of that, we have to have light first. It has to come first. Light is essential. Now, if you remember, we're not talking about the sunlight because the sun isn't created for in, in that initial day. It comes later. 
So it's, it is light. It is light itself. It is the, the, the truth of light that comes in. And so as we see this, that, that Jesus, Jesus is the light of the world, and, and he was, we go back to creation. Well, let's just take John 1, 1, and let's go back to the beginning. It says, and in the beginning was the word. Well, we see that he says, let there be light. We actually have word precede light. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. As we begin to look and get deeper into this idea that Jesus is the light of the world, we see that Jesus there was there before the creation of the earth. There was the word that existed. The light begins to come out of that. And there in the very beginning, it was word and light, word and light that has existed we, if we're going to be able to connect with God, we have to embrace that his word brings light to our life. And nothing else can change or shift or be created until we embrace his word being light in our life. Jesus, this John tells us, was the word become flesh. He's the one who, come as we continue to read John 1, that that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and revealed the, in a deeper way the nature of God. But we have to embrace this word bringing light into our lives. Like my wife mentioned just a minute ago, if you're new with us, um, we do have seven kids. Uh, we got a lot of children. And so, and, uh, and so with that, you know, there's just, there's just always crazy stuff going on. And then the, we had the, the first five um, in eight and a half years. And so, you know, Cutie was not joking. You know, if, you know, if she was to say, hey, you know, there's another one coming, everyone's like, oh, okay, you're pregnant again. And so that was just our life for a decade. And so, uh, and the, and so constantly there was, you know, there was a little one, but then there was an even smaller one that then had to be carried and taken care of. And it was in this space that uh, Weston, our 23-year-old, um, was a little toddler, and Lulu was in the baby carrier. And so, and so Lulu, who is up here a lot of times, seeing she's married now, uh, she was in the baby carrier, bald as could be. She was bald till she was two years old. We just prayed for hair, Lord, Lord. <laughs> It's cute for a little boy. This child needs some hair. And so she's got, good, she's got great hair now. And so, but uh, the little bald baby's in the carrier. And so we are at this point, we're living at a, at a house that the garage is detached and in the back of the, uh, of the house. And to go from where we park to get into the house, you have to walk through the backyard. Um, well, little three-year-old Weston um, he, it's his backyard. He played in that backyard all the time. He understood what was in that backyard. It was fenced. There was, there was nothing going to creep into that backyard. And he played in it in the daytime. He played in it when it was light. 
But then we get home one evening, probably going to Chick-fil-A or something. And so we get home. The uh, older kids had, um, had, had already run off and left little Weston alone by himself. And, and so and Weston has to go through the dark backyard by himself as we are attending the, the even smaller one in the carrier. And I tell Weston, go to the backyard. And he looks into that dark backyard. And he looks back in there. And he wants nothing to do with it. He's like, nope. And at this point, he couldn't say scared very well. So he said, gared. And he looks at me, he said, Daddy, I'm gared. And I, I said, Weston, that is your backyard. There is no reason in the world for you to be scared. It is completely safe. You can just go walk right through the middle of it, go to our back door. You're completely good. Weston, you do not have to be scared at all. Now, did that turn an actual light on in the backyard? No, it did not. But Weston taking a hold of what his dad said, his dad who knew more than him, turned a light on on the inside of him. It turned a light on inside of that that three-year-old little boy. And it, all of a sudden, it didn't make everything feel amazing. And he wasn't going to just dance his way through the darkness and all of that. But he held on to the light of the truth that there was safety even when it didn't feel safe. That there were things were okay because daddy said, it's okay and you can move forward. All of a sudden, a light came on on the inside that was greater than the darkness on the outside. And that three-year-old little boy looks at that backyard and he says, I'm not Gerd, I'm not Gerd, I'm not Gerd. And he preached himself all the way through that backyard and walked in and went inside. And there's a place where we have to understand that the light comes on when we embrace the word. It, it comes on, it begins to change, it begins to push it. The darkness does not overcome. So many times we get totally intimidated by, by the darkness we deal with in life and the dark situations. And I tell you what, sometimes getting a hold of God's word, what he has to say, didn't all of a sudden change the circumstances. But it can change you from the inside. And all of a sudden now your response is different. When you understand what's, hap- what's happened and what's been done for you and that, that God's word is true and you can move forward on that even though the rest of it doesn't look like anything's changed, all of a sudden now the light on the inside begins to make a difference on the outside. See, John chapter 8 verse 12 says this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. The reason we need it is because there's darkness in the world. But if we walk with him, if we embrace him, all of a sudden the light goes with us. It changes everything. We all understand that there's darkness is not the opposite of light. It's not the opposite. It's only light and the absence of light. That's it. The darkness isn't a thing in and of itself. In the dark corners of this room, there's not this little battle between the light coming out and then the darkness and where it's a little darker that the, the darkness is a little stronger and it's pushing it back and, and we can see the front lines of the battle against light and dark here in this room. No, it's whether or not the light 
has been pointed in that space, whether or not the light has gone there. Darkness only wins when the light doesn't shine. That's it. That's the only, that's the only place. And so we need to understand that when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that the place is, is if Jesus is the light of the world, then any place that we haven't embraced Jesus, all that's left is darkness. All that's left is darkness. It's simply a lack of Jesus. So when we see darkness in our lives, especially as the children of God, it is like we have to immediately go, not to go and rail against the darkness and get so upset against the darkness, we have to say, why have I not invited Jesus into this space? When there's darkness in our thoughts, like, why am I not invited Jesus into this, the way I'm thinking? There's darkness in our relationships. Like, how can I invite Jesus deeper into my relationships? How can I invite deeper? If I feel stuck and dark in my career, how do I invite Jesus into my career, into my calling, into the way I go? If there's darkness in our space, it is because we haven't invited Jesus into that space. He is the light of our lives. Matthew chapter 4, verse, six, verse 16 says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Huh. Have we heard that phrase before? The land of the shadow of death. We heard that before? I think we just talked about it during this series. We talk about that God is our shepherd and he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. So all of a sudden now we begin to see that the shepherd and the light are helping us to understand and deal with the exact same battle. So how does this work? We invite his light. We want him to be able to, 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 him to be seen in this space and him to be able to lead in this space. All of a sudden, now we begin to put the metaphors together and we begin to see a deeper way of how to deal with when the valley of the shadow of death all of a sudden comes into our life. We're like, I'm trying. I am trying to let Jesus lead. Well, what are you also trying to keep in the dark? What are you also trying? Because you can't let him be shepherd and not let him be light. You're like, oh, so I'm trying, I'm trying to let him lead me through the shadow, but I, I, I just, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to deal with this. Maybe that's the source of the shadow of death. Maybe the stuff we're not letting God go to, letting him talk about, letting him spread a light on, maybe that's the source of the shadow. Remember, a shadow is created when it gets between a light source and something else. All of a sudden, maybe what we're not letting him is that's the actual source of the shadow. If we'll let him be shepherd and we'll let him be light, all of a sudden we'll see that we can navigate these places that where we feel like this gloomy shadow of death is hanging over our lives. And so in this, we also see that the light of Jesus can shine through us. It's not that Jesus is going to just be the, the one only light. Remember, he is the head and we are 
the body of Christ. He wants to shine through us. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 14. Now, he's already said, I am the light of the world. And then now in verse 14 of Matthew 5, he says, you're the light of the world. (laughs) What is it? Is Jesus the light of the world or are we the light of the world? Yes, it's Jesus in us. Showing up in us is the light of the world. We can't, the light can't go to the world if we don't invite him. We can't say, hey, uh, Jesus, shine your light over there, and I'm pretty much going to do nothing. If we begin to ask God to bring some light into this community, we have to understand that part of that is saying, God, use me. God, I, I volunteer. God, I want, I want to be used of you because that is how his light begins to sound. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill, it cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Who gets seen when our light gets to shine? Our Father in heaven. He's the one who gets revealed. He's the one who gets seen. That's the way this works. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5 tells us this. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that his all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So now we pull the metaphors together All of a sudden, he is our shepherd, he is our light, he is the potter, we're the clay we talked about last week, and you're like, but God, how can you use me? I'm not finished yet. How can your light be put in? That's the mystery of God. That's the glory of God, that he uses us in our imperfect state. His hand's still on us, still crafting us, and he places his light in the middle of it. Why? Because Who gets the glory? Not the perfectly crafted vessel gets the glory. The potter gets the glory. The light gets the glory. The shepherd gets the glory. All of a sudden, all of these different aspects come together. All of these different metaphors begin to be shifted together, and we begin to go, okay, this is what this looks like. I can be a pot. I can be clay still being crafted. I can find myself in a space that feels like the shadow of death. I can allow the shepherd to come in and lead me. I can let the light shine into that. And in the middle of my darkness, my imperfection, I walk through it and people give, and God gets the glory. 
Oh my goodness, it changes the way we interact with everyday life. The stuff we feel like is a punch in the mouth. The stuff we feel like is a low blow from the enemy. All of a sudden, we let him continue to work. We continue to allow him to lead us and guide us and to shine in us. And we don't stop in the valley of the shadow of death. The light shines. God carries us through. And he, does, he completes his good work in us. But we have to see the big picture of the master at work. And each of these little metaphors help us to understand it piece by piece, idea by idea. Because God is so big and so marvelous and so wonderful and wants to be part of every piece of your life that it can't be summed up by one little piece of poetic metaphor. It takes all this and it still is just the tip of the iceberg but we begin to see the nature of our God at work in our lives. And here's the other aspect, is that this light, the light of Jesus, as it is shining in us and through us, it's also working on us. It transforms us. It changes us. Let's look at John chapter 1, verse 1. John 1 John chapter, first well, John 1, verse 5. I'm going to get there. I already did John 1, 1. Uh, we're in first John 1, 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Any of the darkness that you are experiencing, it's not from him. He's not the author of darkness. There's not pockets of darkness that he keeps and that he has. It's not, he, there, is, there is light in him and that is all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. The truth of being set free, the truth in walking in new life doesn't give lived out. Not because that truth isn't true, but because we try to hide in the shadows. We try to hide. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So here it is, as we let the light begin to shine into our lives, then as we are connecting with him, then we have fellowship with one another and the completed work of Christ, that's the blood of Jesus, the completed work, what, he, what his sacrifice 2,000 years ago did, signed, sealed, and delivered, it begins to change us. It purifies us from everything that doesn't line up with his nature. If we let that happen, one of the most known fears of humanity is the fear of the dark. It's just no matter where you go, no, no matter what time period you've lived in, people are afraid of the dark. And that this fear of the dark, um, psychologists and, uh, root it back to this place of separation anxiety that the darkness begins to make us feel isolated and alone. And we were not created for aloneness. 
Remember in the perfection of the garden, sin had not come in. God had created and said it is good, created and said it is good, created and said it is very good. And he notices something. He's like, Adam is by himself, and it's not good for man to be alone. In the middle of all of that perfection and of all of that good, there was one thing that wasn't good, and it was Adam being alone. And so God fixed it and created Eve and created them to be able to live in a place of community, live in a place of connection, and we are hardwired for it. Introverts, extroverts, it doesn't matter. We're all built for relationship, all of us. All of us are built for relationship. And this fear of the dark is an expression of our separation anxiety, of being alienated and isolated and alone. And so as we embrace the light, it allows us to be able to connect. It says we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. All of a sudden we invite the light in and there were things that weren't right there. And we've invited the light in and inviting the light in and connecting with other people, even when things aren't quite right yet, that's where the transformation comes in. I know it's been a long time since we've all watched TV together and, and heard Ty Pennington say, move that bus. It's been a long time. Some of you younger ones, you don't even know what that means. You, you can Google it. Um, but for us a little older, we get what move that bus means. And with the move that bus, it's, it's this house that needed to be fixed and this family got taken away and got to go to Disneyland or something and there was a, a ton of worker bees showing up and totally renovating and get, making them their dream home and they stand on one side of a bus and then this bus, they say move the bus and the bus moves and it reveals this fully put together house, this amazing house on the backside of it. And we all wish that our lives in Christ were done that way. They were like, Jesus, kind of keep me isolated, make me happy, make me have a little spiritual vacation, fix it all, because the next time every, I invite everybody in, I want it to all be right. But the truth is, is it's a complete reverse move that bus moment. This tells us we have to be vulnerable and willing to be honest about where we are. And if we walk in the light, we're just like, yep, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm going through. Now understand, you have to do be, be smart with the people you do that with. Not everybody is going to treat your vulnerability with tenderness. You're gonna have to choose the kind of right people and friendships that you can do that. But all of us need some people in our lives that we can be honest and vulnerable and walk in the light with our imperfections. Because as we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus begins to make things right. The light of God begins to make things better. Here is the problem. I think we don't see enough of the power of God at work in our lives in church because it's easy for us to come to come to our meetings, even to come to our small groups, to keep all of our struggles to ourselves and say, God, I came and I participated. Why am I, why am there no change? And we don't want to embrace this. 
where if we'll walk in the light, we have real genuine fellowship, real vulnerability. We talk about the different things we're struggling with, and that's where the promise says that then all those things that don't line up with his heart, he cleanses them. He cleanses them. Because what happens if we don't do that? We get isolated, we get by ourselves, and we feel like we need to fix it. I'll talk about my life when it looks a little better. I'll talk about my life when this is part of my testimony. I'll tell you my struggle when I can tell you how I beat it. I'll gladly have it be a part of my testimony when I'm not in the middle of of living it. But guess what? Sometimes that's what traps us in living it is when we don't get vulnerable with some handful of people who are, are high trust relationships and we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. Folks, this is the, the, the roots. This is where it happens. This is the messy part of a, of a life in Christ. It's, it would be so much easier if we could read this many chapters, if we could give this amount of money, if we could dress like this and attend this event and attend that event, and now all of a sudden now life is just gonna be changed from the inside out, but that's not the way it works. The body of Christ heals the body of Christ. You're built that way. Cut your finger. Slice it on that little bulletin you got, and all of a sudden, get a nice paper cut. I'm going digital. (laughs) But your, your body begins to rally and heal it. You don't have to go find healing somewhere else. It's right there available. It's taking place. The body of Christ is the same way. And we need to embrace that space. So how do we do this? How do we walk? How do we walk in the light? We do it by all these metaphors coming together. We build our lives on the rock, doing what he has to say. We let him be our shepherd. We remember that he's the vine and we're the branch and all life flows in and out of him. We let him be the potter and craft our life. And we let his light shine, even in places we don't want it to shine. That's how we walk in the light. All of these different little poetic metaphors coming together, and that's where life transformation begins to happen. John chapter 3, verse 16 tells us this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. And praise God, that is the most known scripture on the planet. But man, I'm telling you, it, it gets, it's still good. We don't need to stop at verse 16. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because they did not believe in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Just because you do it in the dark doesn't mean it's not been seen by God. Here's the problem. You just don't invite the power of God to change it. You, don't, you didn't pull one over on God. 
you pulled one over on yourself. You alienated yourself from the, from the thing that's actually going to change your life. Our bottom line this morning is real simple. Invite the light. Invite the light. Invite it in. That's where the transformation happens. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.